Emerging technologies are transforming the healthcare industry as we know it. Investors, say hello to HTech, a portfolio dedicated to capturing the significant growth potential of healthcare innovation. Learn more at roboglobal.com slash HTEC. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids' and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. Welcome, everyone, to episode 139 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we're going to finally discuss the coaching carousel in the NBA. We're going to talk about Dwayne Casey and Stan Van Gundy, both of whom have hit the unemployment line as of late. We're also going to discuss Becky Hammond and the (laughs) ridiculous uproar over whether she's deserving of a job interview. All of that and more coming up. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handle, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. We're now being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at AlmightyCasts. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, but Brian, I mean, you need to keep that messed up intro in, because that's the first time (laughs) in, like, a year... I've heard you. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Actually mess up an intro, which is impressive. So, yeah. And now that I've said it, you need to keep it in. You can't edit this thing, thing out now. Yeah, you, sorry. It's definitely getting cut, but I did, <laughs> I did stumble and say episode and everyone at the same time, which did not turn out very well. So... I, 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 I think you need a, a shout-out here, because for over a year, you've been a machine with these intros. Like, <laughs> I've been asked before if parts of it was was uh, just simply recorded. Oh, really? And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. he does it every, every single time, every, the whole shebang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, more let's start, uh, we have to start with the big news of the week, I think, which was Dwayne Casey on Friday the Toronto Raptors decided to fire him uh, after they were swept out of the playoffs for the second straight season by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, you know, they had an incredible season, regular season at least. They had a franchise record 59 wins. You know, both of us thought they had a very good shot to beat the Cavaliers in round two. It just turned out that the Cavs... Uh, their entire supporting cast woke up from the hibernation they were in in round one at very unfortunate time for Toronto. So, Mort, I guess the first question is, do you un- do you think Casey deserved to get fired, or at least do you understand why Toronto did fire him? So let me ask you a question here. Yep. Let's say, you know, you, 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 you uh, and at your wife, Alex, you uh, moved down to Nashville mm-hmm. about a year ago. And into a house. So I'm assuming that you have a home security system set up 
and I'm pretty sure that you invested a fair amount of money into that security system. Now, let's say Catwoman, one of them, you know, theoretically, came in and stole a few things, and then Alex decided, oh my god, we were just robbed by the the worst burglar of all time, and because uh-huh. of that, I'm going to divorce you, you yeah. sad piece of shit. This is the logic that we're actually using here with the Dwayne Casey thing, mm-hmm. which is really, really dumb. What I, I Look, what did he do wrong exactly? I know that there is this prevailing thought that he could take the raptures from point A to point B and not point B and onwards. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fine. I mean, that's a theory, and you can work under it. Mm-hmm. But when we were watching that series, like he didn't really do anything that atrocious. I mean, he took Serge Ibaka out when Ibaka didn't show up. Like, he did what he had to. He was just LeBron. Everyone right. were. Yeah. Um, so, in that light, no, it's not fair. It's pretty weird. I mean, he's provided solid results over multiple seasons. Uh, it's just, it hasn't turned into postseason success. Mm-hmm. But he did manage to change the whole team up this year and you know, rely on death and Kyle Lowry didn't suck in the playoffs for once as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the amount of progress is being completely undermined by him getting fired. I think that was sort of a middle finger and I'm not really sure what the line of thinking was there that what are you going to get? Okay, sure. If you get a Mike Budenholzer, like then just admit it, you saw a chance to upgrade at a certain spot and then you mm-hmm. went for that upgrade. Like, I can get behind that. But in a nutshell, in isolated view, Dwayne Casey didn't really do anything wrong this year. Now, I haven't been high on him personally in previous years. But mm-hmm. this year, he sold me. Like, I, I, I bought his hype hook, line, and sinker because you could see it in the results. So, I guess I understand it if the angle is, oh, Mike's available. Yeah. But outside of that... No, I I don't see it. I mean, I I I I I'm with you in that it's not necessarily fair. Like they won a franchise franchise record number of games mm. after they got swept last year. Masai Ujiri comes out says they need a culture reset. You know, says they can't keep relying on isolation. Dwayne Casey obliges him. And incorporates more ball movement into the offense and more three-point shooting into the offense. And they stop relying so heavily on Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. The bench mob comes out. You know, it's one of the most efficient lineups in the league. Casey sticks with that in the playoffs. He says, you know, I'm not going to change the way I operate until I'm forced to. And those guys had huge moments, especially Mm -hmm. against Washington. Like, all of that, all all of the changes that he made were for the positive that said, I mean, we had this, you know, when we were discussing coach of the year at the end of the regular season, we were saying, is it fair to give Casey coach of the year for just, like, adapting to 2017, basically? Like, <laughs> he was so far behind the times, and then he finally caught up this year. So it's great that he did. It's, you know, it's better late than never. Like, Minnesota Timberwolves fans with Tom Thibodeau right now are saying, like, man, we'd love if Tibbs followed in Casey's footsteps and actually realized three is worth more than two. So in that regard, I can understand, um, you know, in a certain respect, at least why Toronto thought a change was necessary. Cause as you said, and as we'll discuss in a minute, Mike, Mike Budenholzer is available. He's already been linked 
by multiple reports, Mark Stein of the New York Times and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, also Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer, all three basically said, you know, he's going to get a close look, if not get the job. But they also have Nick Nurse. They have Jerry Stackhouse. There are a number of candidates who could move into that role. You know, if it if it is Bud, we saw in Atlanta that Bud's offensive system was relying on ball movement and was relying on three-point shooting. So whereas Casey had to change the way he operates, and he did so effectively this year, right? Bud would be coming in, you know, if they could go in the direction of Bud, he'd be coming in day one. That's how he would be, you know, th- that's the system he would install. It's not right. like you're forcing a coach to change the way he prefers to play. It's just like, all right, the coach is aligned with the GM. From Toronto's perspective, you know, yeah, like Ujiri had, or Casey had an incredible season. They had an incredible season, and they still ran into this roadblock of LeBron. And when Ujiri re-signed Kyle Lowry to a three-year deal, re-signed Serge Ibaka to a three-year deal, he said last summer, look, we have a two- or three-year plan now. Like, Mm. a lot of our contracts, you know, Jonas Valanciunas and CJ Miles both have player options after this season. Uh, Lowry and Ibaka will expire after the 2019-2020 season. DeRozan has a player option in in, uh, 2020-2021, but he could also come off the books at the same time Lowry and Ibaka do. So I think basically Ujiri's thinking is it's going to be really hard for us, you know, if every time a team loses, there's like the blow it up. It's really hard for Toronto to blow it up right now. Like, it will be much easier to do so next year if Valanciunas opts out, if Miles opt out. Then you're you know, shedding those contracts. Lowry and Ibaka are expiring contracts at that point. It's a lot easier to envision a way where you can really drastically overhaul this roster. You know, right now, basically, you're you might make some moves along the fringes, but like I would guess Toronto's going to run back this same group of guys more or less. Um, so then you're saying like, all right, if we, <laughs> if we have the same players and the same coach, can we expect drastically different results? Well, I mean, if you get Bud in there, then I think DeRozan's time is limited. Mm. I, I think he's yeah. gone by the next deadline. Interesting. Yeah, I, it's. I mean, there are certainly options. You know, there are so many teams right now that are feeling disappointed with how their seasons ended. You can go to Portland, Washington, Miami, Milwaukee. I would assume, but at least like Milwaukee's at least ascendant. But you know, mm. Portland, Washington, Miami. All of these teams are in a similar situation where they have for whatever reason, like Washington, Portland has the double all-star backcourt, just like Toronto. Miami just has a bunch of like really good role players slash, you know, not very like B plus players, a bunch of those, but like no superstar. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe you find a way to, sh- you know, like talk to another one of these teams and like, all right, I'll, we're just going to shake things up for the sake of shaking things up. But again, I, I think I would be surprised if they made any gigantic moves this offseason. I would think this was their move, and they're going to give this coach, whoever they hire, a chance to like make his imprint on the team. And you're right. Maybe if they struggle uh, out of the blocks next season 
and they you know they they come into the February trade deadline and they're like we're not you know basically where Cleveland was this year and they say like we're not contenders as currently constructed then maybe they do consider making a move but it seems like whoever they hire I think will really signal their intention and like direction moving forward like if they hire a guy like Bud you know he's a veteran coach he's proved you know a couple years ago he had the 60 win Hawks he's proved he can win now so I think that would signal you know we're we're going all in with this core we're giving them one last chance whereas if they hire a nurse or a stack house maybe that does mean like you suggested more you know they'll they'll give this core one more chance but they're not they would be quick to pull the trigger and blow it up if need be or maybe butch you know sits down and says i'll take the job but we'll have to find a trade for DeRozan immediately because i know he's going to be a ball stopper and i want my team to be ball movement reliant already by training camp i mm. the thing is though i think demar acclimated well yeah in the regular season but then in yeah. the playoffs he just stopped and this I never put anything solely on one player. I would never do that. So it's not fair to me to to just look at Demar and single him out. That's not the case. But that was on him, not the series, but him stopping the ball movement from his own perspective, like him going ISO instead of him forcing shot. Like that's on him. Right. And you just mentioned Miami. I think there's something interesting there. Like Miami does need that star player. DeRozan mm-hmm. is fantastically gifted athletically mm-hmm. and skills wise like i could see a deal like i don't know Dion waiters and what kelly olenic for more shooting purposes like something in that area oh i i feel like miami would want to get out of Whiteside if they're making a deal oh yeah but like toronto is not taking that <laughs> well you know maybe toronto does like valanciunas and derozan for Whiteside and Dion or something like that but like that's the thing I was I was going over these at like all these options last night and they all feel either lateral or like the other team's gonna say mm-hmm. no. Like if if they call Portland and say, all right, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, they're too undersized to play together. We'll give you Demar Derozan for C.J. McCollum. Does Portland say yes? No, I don't think they do. I would. Not I mean, either. if if I'm Toronto, I'd take that deal in a heartbeat. Right. But no, I don't think they do. And also to your trade proposal like i want to give jonas valanciunas a little bit of credit like when he gets the ball in like the mid post like he's finding these shooters put hassan whiteside into that system he ain't (laughs) finding those guys yeah right if you're going for ball coach bud would reside by december yeah 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 and valanciunas you know was really good in game one he had like i think 21 points and 21 rebounds it the whole thing is just i think i said this even last episode in reference to the sixers but it's just so funny that, like, the margins of error are so small, especially in the playoffs. Like, Toronto in Game 1 had how many offensive rebound and putback opportunities at yeah. the end of that game? And if they hit that shot, go up 1-0, you know, how different are we looking at that series? If LeBron James doesn't hit that ridiculous running floater at the end of Game 3, like, right. Toronto could have then gone into Game 4 with a chance to take home court advantage back. I think the fact that they got, you know, that the game three shot was just such a clear dagger that they were just like broken after that and they got absolutely annihilated mm. in game four. And I think that's probably what cost Casey his job is the fact that they just got, they didn't even show up to game four. And like that's, that's a bad sign. 
It's a it closeout is. game. I, you need but, to like show some pride. But uh, yeah, you know the pride thing. I've seen that re- you know remark come up a lot on Twitter. Like, where's the pride? Where's the the willingness? Um, I I find that problematic if you put that solely on the feet of a coach. Like, I know yeah. a coach is supposed to motivate and yada yada yada. But at the end of the day, you your players are grown ass men, mm-hmm. and he can try to motivate. He can do whatever is in his power. But if they don't feel up for it, if they by some reason just distance themselves from their coach knowingly Mm -hmm. that's not on the coach however then it is time for a change then you have to gauge is it time for a coaching change or is it time for a roster shakeup now Mm -hmm. in this particular situation i would probably also be inclined to say well we have the players like we have a lot of talent we have a deep bench we have a lot of components that we can keep on going with and then we just need a different I want to say voice in the leadership department, maybe, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I can respect that. I just, I, I just look at that whole situation in Toronto this year in terms of their regular season record and the way that they've been playing and sharing the ball, and just I found it really impressive. And then yeah. for them to finally, you know, turn it around in that sense, and then fire their head coach a year after <laughs> that, I, I didn't. Let me just put it this way: I didn't think we'd be here. Yeah. And just to wrap up the Toronto segment, whoever they hire, be that Bud or someone else, I would make it, if I'm a side jury, whoever I'm interviewing, I would start every interview off with what more can you get out of Jonas Valanciunas that Dwayne Casey did not. Mm-hmm. Look, and Serge Ibaka. And Serge Ibaka. Ibaka, I feel, is more... I think that that's more on him, though. Yeah. Like, Valanciunas... He gets pulled at weird times. Like I've seen so many regular season games where he starts off the court with like eight and five, then he doesn't see the court again for like ten minutes, or he just right. go what? Right. right. <laughs> what? What right. is happening? Yeah. <laughs> like he played twenty two and a half minutes per game this season. Twenty two yeah. and a half minutes. Yeah. Like I don't care if he's not a great defensive player. He's a great rebounder. He's a great scorer. You'll at least need him for twenty eight. I mean, mm-hmm. just and, and then people say, "Oh, a six-minute difference." That's that doesn't matter. Yes, it does. That's half a quarter. I know. Yeah, we, we've been on Valanciunas Island for a while. I feel like it's going to get more popular depending on who they hire. But Hell yeah. We'll we'll talk more about the Raptors in our next episode when we do the buy Felicia for them as well. But we had to at least address the Casey stuff now since we're mm. spending an entire episode talking about coaches anyway. Oh, by the way, I have one more hot take about the Raptors. Okay. Yep. You're really going to hate me for this. Oh, no. And people are. I have a feeling that DeLon Wright would be so much better as a starter with Kyle Lowry coming off the bench as this pseudo. No, no, no. I'm not saying he, should, he shouldn't He should be playing 30-something minutes. Like, he should. Yeah. But the way that he... Like, he's reliant so much now on his three-point shot. Uh-huh. Like, I think 60... Let me just look that up here. Somewhere around here. Uh, okay, 63.1% of Lowry shots were threes. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of those are those the trailing three-point shot. Mm-hmm. And there's just a part of me going, offensively speaking, in terms of scoring the ball, him coming off the bench and just providing that kicker with the, uh, with, with Reich sliding to the two and him being like a full-time starter. Mm-hmm. I could just see that being kind of fun. Like, Kyle would never go for it because of right. the ego, and I get <laughs> right. that. Yeah. But I would love that. 
It's good to say. Whoever Toronto hires as their next head coach, I hope the first thing they don't ask him is not tell him oh, yeah, no. he needs to be the sixth man. No, no, no. Yeah, no, that's not going to go right. right <laughs> no, right. if I was sitting there going, hey, I think Kyle Lowry should be benched. It would be, yeah. yep, get out of my office more. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. That's fine. Have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's now move to the other uh, recent vacancy. Stan Van Gundy and the Detroit Pistons. Apparently... Mm-hmm. They, you know, yeah. he was one of the rare guys left in the league with the head coach and team president role. They sought to at least strip him of the team president role. There have been conflicting reports uh, as to whether they wanted to keep him around as head coach. He says yes. Other uh, reports say no. But regardless, he is now out of both roles. So before we even get into any of the did he deserve it talk, I want to give a shout out to Stan Van who in December of 2014 called the Sixers and or he said it was embarrassing what the Sixers <sighs> were trying to do. You know what's embarrassing, Stan? Presiding over a franchise that hasn't won a playoff game in over a decade, which is what the Pistons are. They have not won a, a single playoff game since the 2007-2008 season. Are you done? Can, yep. can we Can we just... <laughs> Can, can we just not? Can we give you a sixer segment for the final five minutes of each podcast? I'm just saying there is. I you know. know if you're wondering why Sixers Twitter in particular has taken such glee in Stan Van uh, getting fired, and you know I, I say that jokingly because I'm never in favor of someone losing their job, but you know it, he he had some uh, choice comments about the process over the years. So the irony of, you know, the Sixers were the ones they swept him the, they swept the Pistons this season and they were the ones who officially knocked the Pistons out of playoff contention this season. Brad, we're loosening just, listeners right now. <laughs> it was just delicious, but uh, <laughs> I I mean we we don't we the first thing I need to ask about this whole this scenario in Detroit is like this has to be the end of the dual coach GM thing. Like I know Oh, it pa- better be. Right, like I, pop aside, like Tibbs, I believe is now the only one with that official responsibility. But have we gotten full is, clarification with Doc though? I don't think sort so. of a gray area. Yeah, Doc may or may not also have that. It seems like they at least brought in outside people last year right. to give him more guidance. So maybe he still has final personnel say, but like. Jerry West is definitely also there, and he's, you know, I, I think mm. Jerry West would not surprise me if he's the one who really led the charge on that Blake Griffin trade. Which, which is ironic, that's I, those two, <laughs> right. Right, right, right. And, like, Thibodeau, I think, yeah, I saw a report from Darren Wolfson of 1500 ESPN where they said there's just a lot of internal strife within the Timberwolves. So it seems like Thibodeau is probably not all yeah. that far behind Nope. Stan Van in term of in terms of at least losing maybe they keep him as head coach but mm-hmm. I it sounds like he's gonna lose the president responsibilities as she should quickly yeah or and, maybe even actually the I would probably with Tibbs make him lose the head coaching gig because right. he hasn't adjusted <laughs> when you can get Jimmy Butler and when you can get the guys that you got like that's mm-hmm. fine I don't mind yeah. that but yeah. But, no, but, I, I would agree with you Say you know in regards to Stan Van Gundy and the fact that we should not see any more contracts for coaches who gets, you know, team president or GM uh, powers. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that should be done with now. We we've tried it. It was a lot of. I, I was about to say it was a lot of fun. Really wasn't. <laughs> it, <laughs> it wasn't. It was if you didn't root for that team. That's true. Like the entertainment value of it was right. pretty high, but no, it, it just doesn't work. And and I you know we've spoken about this before. I mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but so let's just play a game here. You're a coach and you're also a GM. All right, mm-hmm. fine. So you have an 18-year-old high lottery draft pick mm-hmm. who is just not ready to play. Yep. And you want to win. Yep. So the coach and you are going, oh, I may have this 18-year-old who is going to be the next LeBron James in three years. <laughs> right. But I want to win right now, so I'm going to trade him for Alan Crabb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's It's the... You're not always in conflict. Like sometimes there are situations where, as a coach and a GM, you're both ready to win now, or as a coach mm. and a GM, you're both understanding like we're rebuilding. You know, we we are. It's going to take a couple of years. We're not really judging ourselves by wins and losses. But yes, in, in like the basic grand scheme of things, a coach's job is to win every game. You know, with with a <laughs> yeah. few exceptions. Yeah, you're right. Like yeah. they they would like to because you, your job security depends on it. If you lose, unless a you're Mike games, Brown or Brett Brown, sorry. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But you know that was it. That was like an organizational vision. Is yeah, they, they they agreed like that right. was an agreement. Like he he was hired and he was told, you know, we're not going to win. I'm not going to give you the players to win. And he's right. like, okay. And, and I think we'll talk about some of the recent hirings in a second. I think Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta is going to enter a similar situation. I don't, I don't mm. think they're going to judge him on wins and losses in the first two or three years of his contract. I think they're going to say, we want to see your young players develop. We want to see progress on the court. We want to see the system. Like you put a system in place. So when right. we do get talent, you're going to take off just like the Sixers did this year. The right. Pistons, like, yes, I mean, we we have made fun of Stan Van like yeah you know, the Tobias Harris trade was great the Blake Griffin trade we were very skeptical of it from Detroit's side from the beginning also including uh, Tobias Tobias yeah, yeah. and <laughs> just then going the other way <laughs> just yeah. some of the fringe deals he made not you know not even the Blake Griffin thing but like getting hard capped out yourself. for yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On the first day of free agency, I know like, you were you were so hooked up on that one. I know. Yeah, I, uh, I remember you just, DM'd me like the the motherfucking <laughs> Pistons just capped themselves out for Langston fucking Galloway. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and you know these are moves that like they're fringe moves, but they yeah. all add up after a while. Like handing yeah, John yeah. Luer these big deals or Ish Smith or Boban. I love Boban, but. Well, you know, we loved the John Luer deal. He just didn't deliver, but we loved yeah. it when it at the time. Yeah. I just right, right. And I think the Pistons, in Van Gundy's defense, mm. they were victims, much like any other team with cap space in 2016. Like they were victims of having cap space at the wrong time, yeah. And they just didn't exercise the restraint they needed to. Right. But like, you look at this team's books for next season; they have a hundred. Almost $112 million in guaranteed oh, salary. Oh, I, I really books. don't want to, Brian. Yeah, it's a, lo- it's a crime scene. It, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at our podcast, and I'm going, just one mil, guys. One mil. <laughs> but at least at least our podcast has a way out of being mediocre, in theory. <laughs> if we get Sarah back. Yeah, right. But <laughs> the Pistons, like, they are super screwed. Yeah. Unless, oh, absolutely. you know, maybe 
you explore a Blake Griffin trade, which I would heavily encourage the Pistons to do, even though it's <laughs> really <laughs> antithetical to what. Yeah, like it, yeah. it goes against what they did in January, but you know now they're going to get a new GM. So where, first of all, they have to hire a GM before a coach, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You never go the different route. No. Yeah. Or the opposite route. The problem yeah. is, I feel like Dwayne Casey, ironically enough, would be a decent fit here, but he's probably also going to be an attractive candidate in Milwaukee. You also have an opening in Orlando. So, like, they might, you know, time yeah. is kind of a, of the essence here. What, but Wait, what, what makes you say, though, that Dwayne Casey would be a good fit there? Because I'm actually thinking him he wouldn't. Remember, it was Casey who said if Valanciunas is not dominating, mm-hmm. we're benching him. Like, yeah, that's and, true. And here your two best players are oh, center geez. and power forward. Yeah. So what if Andre Drummond comes out and not dominates, which he won't? Like, is he gonna see the pine? Like, yeah, hello, twenty-two a, minutes fair. a game for <laughs> Andre Drummond. Like, no, and he Drummond went through that with Van Gundy. Like, Drummond yeah. came out this year and had an incredible season. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a fair point. I think based on what we saw Casey do this past year and tapping mm-hmm. into some of Valanciunas's passing instincts. You've got to, I mean, Blake Griffin is a great passer for his size. And Drummond, really, I mean, that was, aside from the free throw shooting, that was the most encouraging development of any Piston last year was they really tapped into Andre Drummond as a playmaker at the elbow in the high post. So you, I mean, yeah, whoever you hire, you want to, you know, if you're not going to trade Blake, you need to figure out how to make those two guys work in concert with each other and Reggie Jackson. I I say Casey would be good only because you know b- before this season they didn't take any threes and they relied heavily on their starters, which is what you're probably mm. going to have to do if you're the Pistons coach. But it's a fair point. Where I mean, we haven't heard anything about them hiring or like interviewing GM candidates. I don't think. No, that's uh, because I think it's I think that is done in secrecy because I, and I have. Look, I have not read anything about not even a tweet. This is all me speculating. Mm-hmm. I think that they could be talking to Hinky because of the Ooh. books. Oh, because man. of their books. Oh, I want something better for him. He deserves. He deserves because if he goes there, he's gonna get the reputation of like this is just the guy. This is the guy who you like the demolition crew where you call in when you've got a really screwed up situation and you just need a guy to take advantage. Get your cap clean, and he's gonna get well, fired in three years. Well, that's the thing because now the league's known about it. I I also think that Adam Silver and I also think Philadelphia ownership would handle that situation differently now, because so much so many things came out afterwards where you just looked at it and go, went, oh, oh, he was right. So this time around, if he did it, like obviously the NBA as a brand would be nervous. Yeah, no, but Adam like Silver you, would, he would, he would try to. Cut his knees off at every possible moment. I, I maybe and maybe not because he. Here's the thing, Detroit, by all accounts, has always been a franchise that the NBA looked at because of the bad boy Pistons of the '80s as very mm-hmm. marketable, mm-hmm. and they've just been they've stagnated ever since their the title in 2004. They've just, yeah, I mean, they've they're, not they're, they've, their attendance yeah. is terrible. Exactly. So maybe Silver goes. You know what? If we spend four years. Getting these guys back to like, you know, giving them giving them a ten year window 
mm-hmm. they could be great. You know what? I'll take those years uh, with Sam Hinkie, and I'll, I'll suffer for it from for the four years with no attendance whatsoever. But I'll finally have a product in Detroit where the fan loyalty, I know people don't show up right now, but they have some diehards, man. Yeah. I think a lot of them, do, they don't show up in, due to protest, actually. Yeah, right. And and that's when you have that, that's passion, in a sense. And getting a team right there that could be competitive in four or five years' time, that's mm-hmm. a solid investment. So, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with you, but you know, the Sixers were also... They're they're like historically were one of the preeminent teams back. Oh yeah, and he gave Hinky two point five years before he absolutely. But with again, I don't think I right. But that's where my previous point comes into play. Comes into play because what I I mean I really truly believe that the league is looking at the Hinky situation, going, oh, we could have handled that better. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. Yeah, but I, I I think he's gotten a lot more leeway. After the or not, I think he's gotten more a lot more respect, and I think he has built himself some leeway here after the fact. I mm-hmm. think he's, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think the NBA would be open to revisiting Hingy for another franchise, even if it means screwing over the system. It has to depend on the situation, has to depend on how things are done. But I do think at some point we'll see Hingy back. And yeah. looking at this team. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, you don't want Hingy to be, like, known as his construction worker. But <laughs> right. um, that's a hell of a skill, though, I will yeah. say. And if a team needs it, it's Detroit. And right. if not Sam Hinkie, Mike Saren out of Boston. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the problem with, like, I, I agree with you. I think Hinky is going to get a job at some point somewhere down the line. The problem is, like, a team doesn't have a GM opening if things are going well. Like, wherever right. he gets hired, wherever Mike Zarin gets hired, it's going to be because something went horrendously wrong. Right. And ownership is like, all right, we need to do a hard reset with everything. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to get over that at some point. Um, we did see, I think, right when Van Gundy got canned, uh, I think it was Woj who said the Pistons were exploring Brent Barry for some role in their front office. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the president of basketball operations, but probably as a special advisor type role. So that would be interesting. I mean, I think you could see a way out with the Pistons. Like, right. they, it's going to take time. They have a lot of mistakes to undo, but a guy like Drummond, you know, that's a lot of teams would like to have a player like Drummond that you can build around. Like, he has the potential to be very good. It's just, you know, he has some clear limitations, and those limitations are going to especially factor in this, you know, in this NBA. Right. On a completely unrelated note, when we talk about draft stuff, it's why, you know, I, I, you more, you know a lot more about this stuff than I do, but like, I, I think Doncic should be the number one pick because Aiton, like, we haven't seen one of these unicorn bigs. Like, they're really good. They're really dominant, especially in the regular season. But now you look at the final four, and you've got Kevin Love at the five, Draymond Green at the five, Al Horford at the five. Clint Capella is the only one who's a conventional center. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even still, he's playing with, like, two future Hall of Famers right. in the backcourt who could just feed him for lobs. And he's, like, not one of these unicorns. 
So it feels like it's tough to build around a center as your best player unless he's like just right. truly transcendent. And I don't think Drummond is that type of talent. So like the there's a possibility that the Pistons don't have a single player on their roster that five years down the road you hope is still there. I think that's fair. I, I would agree with that. In five years' time, I I mean, Luke Kennard and Henry Ellenson theoretically could still be there because they're long-term investments. Right. But that might just be it. Just to a quick comment in regards to Bones and mm-hmm. the whole Ramberry to to Detroit thing. Mm-hmm. Like, let's assume he gets hired for the actually the actual GM role, right? Mm-hmm. Did he skip the line? <laughs> oh, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Uh, all right, Mort, let's let's pivot now to some of the other hirings that have happened in recent weeks. A lot yeah, of these sir. people are assistants, so we're not going to pretend like we know. All, you know, we we don't have in depth scouting reports about what these people can bring to the table. We're just kind of right. going to give quick hit thoughts about each of them. So the one we do know about is David Fisdale. He got hired by the Knicks. What do you think yep. about that one? Poor Fizz. <laughs> well, he got paid. It's fine. Yeah, he got paid. Right, right. Um, I mean, look, it's it's a solid signing it, or a hire. Uh, Fizdale is great, mm-hmm. but <laughs> New York isn't. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah, right. I'm just waiting for the Knicks to mess everything up. This is where right. I'm at with the Knicks. I've just, yeah. I've practically given up. And I've, look, I feel so bad for Knicks fans because when Fizz was hired, Knicks fans on Twitter, they reacted similarly as if as if they signed LeBron James. I know. And I'm just I like, know. oh, you guys. Oh, babies. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> like, I think I literally tweeted, like, you're acting like James Dolan doesn't still own the team. Yeah. No, that's uh, – but, but again, that's just – I mean – I get it though, like yeah. something good, something right. positive happened, and like right. they have to reach for every small grasp of sanity that they can yeah. get their hands on. And, oh, I feel sorry for you, Knicks fans. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the hire as well. He said mm-hmm. all the right things in his press conference. He was talking oh, yeah. about, you know, we. He doesn't envision. Chris Dobbs as solely a four, solely a five. He's very much into positionless basketball, blah, blah, blah. That's great. Yep. Here's the reality. Chris Dobbs is going to miss, is likely going to miss some, if not all, of the 2018-2019 season. So the Knicks, in all likelihood, are going to be very bad next year. As mm-hmm. we saw when he went down You know, this year, they immediately just sucked something awful. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's great that... He envisions Frank Ntilikina as a big part of the future. Um, you know, it seemed like they were trying to marginalize him by the end of the year by bringing in guys like Trey Burke and Emmanuel Moutier. So I'm in, I'm intrigued to see what happens uh, with Frankie Smokes while, especially while Porzingis is out. Um, yeah, like you know, LeBron and Dwayne Wade and all those guys from Miami seem to love Fizz, which is great. And you, you know, you want those types of endorsements because. I'm sure, like, through back channels, having LeBron James, you know, LeBron James is not coming to the Knicks. Just let's kill that before it even gets out of hand. But you they know, need having, him, but he won't. Right. Yeah. But having his endorsement is still going to be valuable. So I think it, you're right, Lord. It's like, it's a positive hire. It's a good sign for the Knicks. Mm. 
James Dolan still owns the team. I still yes, somehow expect him to lose patience, especially you know if Kristaps doesn't come back and immediately dominate under Fizz's system. I could see it turning sour very quickly. But for Fizz's sake, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that James Dolan goes right. off with JD in a straight shot and goes records a record for three years in like Australia <laughs> or something. Just forgets he owns the team. That's his best but, hope. But you're a fan- fantasy guy, right? Yeah. All right. So. Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably going to average like 24 next year. Oh yeah, he's going to be he's going to be a good <laughs> mid-round pick next year. It's going to be a lot. He's going to be bad. Like he's yeah, going right. to be really oh, bad. Yeah. But volume yeah. or efficiency is going to be terrible, but volume will be off the charts. Yep. Um, okay, more you're going to be the expert here in Phoenix. We got I, I might butcher the pronunciation of his name. I apologize if I do, but Igor Kokoskov. Igor Kokoskov. Kokoshkov, there we go. As I understand okay. it, Kokoshkov, okay. yeah. So you've seen him, at least he was the coach of the Slovenian team, is that right? Right. So, um, during Eurobasket last year. Okay. So and, thoughts on that hire in Phoenix? It seems like, especially with Phoenix owning you know, the draft lottery is Tuesday, they have 25% mm-hmm. chance of the number one odds. Right. He has coached Luka Doncic, put two and two together, and... Right. Yep, Doncic in... in Phoenix would make a lot of sense and they win, if they win the lottery. Um, the fact that he succeeded in pairing Dantage and Goran Dragic to the extent that he did mm-hmm. was pretty great. Yeah. I mean, when, when you look at two ball-heavy guys like that who take a lot of shots and get into the paint and whatnot, you could easily see them kind of tripping over each other, but they didn't. He also had... There was one thing that I found a little weird... Instead of sitting Dantic down and letting him breathe, he had him in the game, and then for like four or five minutes at a time, Dantic was just in the corner doing nothing. And that was the time where he kind of let Dragic take over, play a lot of pick-and-roll basketball, and you just kind of played Dantic as a decoy. But I felt like a lot of minutes went by with Dantic just standing there, mm-hmm. which, I'm, was, which I was kind of concerned about. But the more I think about it, I think it was a strategic play from him because... Doncic reserved some energy offensively, and because it was Eurobasket, not NBA, he was actually a contributor defensively. So mm. we all look at Doncic as you know, as draft geeks, we look at Doncic as an offensive contributor, like a playmaker, a scorer, a shooter. But in the Eurobasket setting, like he's a six-eight guy, who's, you know, weighing two twenty, he's not going to be easy to get by or body mm-hmm. up on or muscle away, because players are just. A little bit smaller at Eurobasket, mm-hmm. so he did the opposite thing. He actually saved him on offense, so he can participate a little bit more defensively. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. I mean, Which is it, interesting. Like he—that's a wrinkle that I wouldn't have thought of. And yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, Phoenix has a twenty-five percent chance of getting number one. You would assume based on that hire, that they would lean toward Doncic with number one pick. Or if nothing else, they have more intel on Doncic than most other teams are going to. Yes. Assume they miss. Undoubtedly. If they slip to number three and Doncic and Aiden are the top two, do you see anything with the way he handled Doncic that could translate to Devin Booker? Mm. Well... Booker is more ball dominant than we thought he would be. Like, he Mm -hmm. came into the league and we thought he would just be, like, an off-ball shooter, but he's been more on the ball. He's been able to play pick and roll. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he could sort of mirror Booker in in the daunted role, mm. and then I don't think he would have, be afraid to really find a high volume point guard to put alongside Booker and then make it work. Mm-hmm. Like that right now, that's what we can take away from it. I also want to say that he used Anthony Randolph pretty well. Huh? Um, I mean, obviously Randolph is a guy who fancied himself. <laughs> he was drafted in what two thousand and seven or eight or something yeah Nine, maybe remember. yeah in, in that like you know 10 year ago ish right and that was that was still an era where big men were supposed to play down a position so yeah. anthony randolph fancied himself a, like a small forward <laughs> right but yeah. i think kokoshkov gave him a chance to actually say okay you know what you want to play on the perimeter you want to take three pointers stuff like that that's fine but I mean, he. It was very clear that when he took those shots, like he was just hollering, like "Get back on defense!" Like he had a job mm. to do, and you could just sense that he wasn't allowed to just have that freedom that he had offensively if he didn't like play big defensively, mm-hmm. come in from weak side shot blocking, like use his athleticism and really like bang it up in the post defensively speaking. So, I think he has a very set philosophy. That's mm. that. That last part is me guessing, but from mm-hmm. what I saw, that was a pattern. Like, if you saw weak competitive spirit defensively from Anthony Randolph. Like he wasn't that much engaged offensively. So I think there was some give and take there. Mm. Interesting. It's going to be really fascinating to see what happens with the lottery, especially with Phoenix there. Um, Let's move on to James Borrego in Charlotte. He was a San Antonio Spurs assistant, and that is literally all I know about him. They, they said in his, introductory press conference mitch kupchak their new gm said there's no plans to overhaul the roster surprise surprise even though they totally should so they're gonna work with the players they have uh borrego cited some of the young guys malik monk he said he thinks he can get more out of mkg you know obviously kemba walker i mean more at this point i'm inclined you know he he had the, a short stint as an interim coach in orlando a couple of years ago that didn't go all that well but orlando's been terrible for how long so i'm not right. going to hold that against him you know at this point i'm like literally inclined to give the benefit of the doubt to anyone who comes out of the spurs organization right also um just wanted to point something out because i've seen on twitter wrongly that he's only been a san antonio spurs assistant for three years but he was there mm. for seven years before that from 2003 mm. to 2010 oh okay. so he's actually been there for yeah. 10 years yeah, yeah. and he's then um, he's overseen a lot of their success too he has exactly so he was there during you know a fair amount of the duncan era yeah i uh, i mean this is i know very little about him so i don't feel comfortable you know sitting here just shooting the shit out of but <laughs> right having having that exposure as well as learning from pop i mean who are we or anyone to sit here and go oh you know it's right. not going to be good like okay i we've seen the spurs coaching tree i mean yeah it has had more than their shares of of success stories and i don't see any reason why this shouldn't be one right well okay. I, I have one concern though one concern mm-hmm. mitch kupchak hired him yeah, <laughs> right. Like that's my concern. That yeah. is like because I could just imagine like in the job interview, Mitch going, "Do you like analytics?" Brando <laughs> goes, "Um, I, I want to say yes, but I have a feeling if 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 I say yes, I won't get the job." That's right. Right. Then I don't like analytics. You're hired. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, and that's what a lot of this for all of these guys for Fizdale, Kokoshkov, Borrego, all three of them are, you know, working for owners who are below average to awful. I would say MJ is the best of the three, but the Knicks are a tire fire and the Suns are a tire fire. So mm-hmm. it might not matter how good they are. Like, they might just be there to, you know, be a seat warmer for a couple of years, and then they're going to be replaced by the next guy who's going to be a seat warmer for a couple of years, and on and on it goes. But yep. I think, as you said, given what we've seen from the Spurs coaching tree, especially in recent years with Bud, with Brett Brown, Borrego's worth a shot. That's, oh, yeah. that's, that's all I got on him. Right. Um, Lloyd Pierce is new, the new coach of the Atlanta Hawks. He came from Philly. Um, he's been there the last couple of years with Brett Brown. I think he, he in Philly he was responsible apparently for the defensive game plans, according to Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice. I think really the big appeal from for him or about him for Atlanta is a he was there for the process. They Atlanta is not like actively tanking as hard as the Sixers did, but they're very much in the beginning stages of a rebuild. So mm. he has the appropriate. Um, understanding of what it takes to go from step A, which is, you know, tabula rasa basically, to step B, which is getting back into playoff contention. And mm-hmm. he has a good good rep as a player development guy. And they have a bunch of young kids. They have, you know, Torian Prince, John Collins, even Schroeder, um, Bembry. They have a bunch of guys who, you know, I don't know that any of them have superstar upside. I, I'm, you know, Torian Prince is my baby boy, but. Like, I don't know that anyone on that roster, as of yet, is going to turn into a top 20 player in the NBA one day. But they nah. also have, you know, I think the third or fourth best odds in the lottery on Tuesday. So they, they have yeah. another high-impact player coming. You assume they're also going to be bad next year, so they're going to have yet another. Like, the, the talent's going to come eventually. So mm. I'm guessing that's the appeal for Lloyd Pierce. They're, they're, they, right. It's very much a... We don't expect you to win now, as I said earlier. It's develop our young guys. You know, we, we just want to see progress, and then we don't care if you win twenty games next year. If you hopefully you only win twenty games next year, so then we'll have another chance to get a top five, top six pick. It also helps that he's basically the love child between Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant. <laughs> he he is a very handsome looking gentleman. He's yes. a, he's a very handsome looking gentleman. But have you seen like that? He looks so much like those two guys. Yeah. When yeah. I hadn't seen his photo until a couple of days ago when his, you know, the rumor mill started naming him as one. Uh-huh. I was I was blown away. That was that's amazing. Yeah. He also apparently uh This concludes he... my knowledge of Lloyd Pierce, <laughs> by the way. Uh well the only other thing I know about him is that he worked with LeBron uh, a long time ago. I was listening to the Windhorst on the Woj pod last night and um Apparently, LeBron's still really close to him. So, you heard Ooh. it here first. LeBron's going Atlanta, to the Hawks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Book it. Uh, and then the only other hiring we have so far is J.B. Bickerstaff got re-upped. He was the interim coach taking over for Fizdale. Um, they Ooh. hired him, I believe, on a three-year contract. I I have no strong feelings about that either way. I, no, I, think... I mean, it's kind of a prove-it contract, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just think Memphis is in such a time of transition that no matter what he does, he's kind of screwed. 
It sucks. Like uh, unless, I think unless of course it's like a right. Unless of course it's a Brett Brown situation. Yeah, but I don't think. Like I don't think Memphis has the, the, the wherewithal or the foresight necessarily to. I guess we'll, again we'll see what happens in the lottery on Tuesday. If they get the number one pick, they take DeAndre Ayton. Probably bye bye Marc Gasol. But otherwise, I think they're gonna basically like try to ride out this Gasol Conley era at least until Chandler Parsons' contract expires, and then at that point, maybe they, they start to oh, look that ahead to the so future. Sad. I know, it sucks. So well, they, they had a good run. They had like six or seven years where they were very relevant. So this is just the circle mm. of life in the NBA. So yeah. relevant. They may, did, they, they, did they make a conference finals? Uh, yeah, one time they once, did. One time? Yeah. yeah, one time, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, Mort, let's now let's talk about Becky Hammond. Because NBA Twitter, there have been a few members in particular who have voiced concerns about her getting an interview with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, yeah. That's that's so bad. Oh, poor, poor (laughs) white men in this day and age that a woman is allowed to interview for a job. Oh, my God. Or I should say J-O-B because women can't spell, right? (laughs) That's how we treat them, it feels like. Right. The overarching criticism of this is she is quote skipping the line which basically means you know she is not in the front row of assistant coaches if she stays Mm -hmm. with san antonio she will be now in theory because borrego has left um but she you know she's there is i guess a, a line of ascendance in terms of like top assistant coach number two number three number four She's in the back row. She is not one of the top ones. Oh, push it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, so that's that's been like the the main thing. Is mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a a a uh, path that most assistant coaches have to travel before they get a head coaching job or they get interviewed for a head coaching job. And mm-hmm. you can bring up guys like you know a Patrick Ewing who was a coach an assistant for like more than a decade ended up having to go to Georgetown to get his head coaching job. Mm-hmm. So more, I, I'm going to let you rail first, then I'm going to rail. Because both of us think this is the dumbest shit in the world. But you you go ahead and you... you uh, Hi, I'm Del Necro. We just drafted <laughs> Derek Rose first overall. You have no coaching experience, and we're going to make you be the head coach for our most precious draft pick since Michael Jordan. Okay. <laughs> Didn't yeah. he skip the line? Yeah, he did. And then people respond to like, oh, but that was years ago. Well, hi, Steve Kerr. Right. And, and hi, Mark Jackson. They argue like, well, these guys either played in the NBA or they were assistant coaches for a while or whatever. But like, oh, Becky well, Hammond was in the WNBA. She, for... Yeah, let's ignore the fact that she's <laughs> one of the greatest WNBA players of all time. But right. that's not basketball because women don't play basketball. Men play basketball. Right, right. it's a totally different game. In yeah, fact, it's, it's a... actually used can't feet dunk. in the WNBA. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah Look, it's, here's uh... the thing. Here's the, it's just the skipping the line bullshit that annoys me. It's fair yeah. to say we don't know about her qualifications. Like, yeah. I get that. That's fine. You can say that about everyone that you don't have a lot of data on. That's right. fine. Skipping the line is a bullshit line that comes about because she has a vagina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, that's that's it. Yeah. That is fucking it. And it's dumb. And I'm pissed off about it because no one would have said anything if this has, had been Rick Hernandez 
from some random place. Mm-hmm. You hadn't, you wouldn't have heard the sentence skipping the line once. Yeah. This is a an excuse just to rail on. I don't want women in my sport. Yeah, yeah, it's like a dog whistle. It's much Completely. like what Donald Trump does with right, all women right. and minorities and anyone who's not a white straight Christian yeah. male. And it's I, I oh I'm so tired. This is this is 2018. We're supposed to be this evolved, enlightened, enlightened people, and let's be honest, we're talking about a game. This is right. basketball. Right. This is not anything else. And you find people who rag on this woman for being interested in working in basketball at the most competitive level. Why? Why would you need to be so petty? Why yeah. would you need to crap on something like that? I mean, and, and here's here's what really bothers me as well. So there are obviously a ton of female politicians. Mm-hmm. They do fine work. They do absolutely fine work. But you don't really... Yeah, okay, you hear some voices say, oh, we shouldn't have women in politics, but like you would have oh. to assume that they're left oh, back God. in 1845, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so the logic here is we can have women in politics and not in, as basketball coaches. Right. My point is there's not a strain of logic in these kind of thoughts. Like Becky Hammond knows more about basketball than the two, the two of us and any guest we've had on oh combined. God. Yeah. And, and any, any person who's saying she's skipping the line... Again, she knows more about basketball than any of those people, right. without question. I have oh yeah, yeah, like zero it dimensions more. I mean, and you know, I don't think here's the thing: I don't think Pop hired Becky just because she's a woman, right? I think he, he said followed that. her. Yeah, right. He followed her her career. Like she was playing for the stars. Mm-hmm. Like he had a relationship with her because she played for the stars, and he mm-hmm. realized, oh, you know what? You're actually pretty goddamn smart. I'm gonna yeah. hire you. Because your playing career is over, and I, I could use you on the bench. I think you're great. Yeah. Oh, oh. by the way, you know, talking about lack of credential, I know it's Summer League, right? But championship. I know <laughs> oh, it's Summer League. Oh, we, we, can't, we can't use that. I, like, I no, know. I want to use she, that. I, I'm going to yeah. tell you why. Okay. Look up that roster from the Spurs that summer. Yeah. That was shit. <laughs> that was a shit roster. It's Summer League, though. Like, that's, that's no, no, not no, but, a... High caliber of... I don't care. You still had so many teams there. You had so much talent there. And Mm -hmm. she still brought a shit roster. I know people are testing stuff out. I get that. But she had her eye on the ball all the way through it. She still had proper rotations. She still tried stuff out herself, just like Mm -hmm. everyone else did. Mm -hmm. But she had so much less to work with than all these... You know, all these teams bringing top draft picks. Right. Yeah, because the Spurs have drafted in the low 20s. Exactly. Always and forever. And there you go. Yeah. I I don't think we should disregard. I think that counts for something. I know people want to, are afraid to use that as an argument because they feel that indirectly it belittles her because, you know, championship in summary means squad. Right. I don't think, I don't think it means squad. I think it means something. She was there. She was devoted. She was committed. And she wanted to prove something. And, Fuck that. She went out and proved more than she needed to. She didn't really... Even for me and you, she didn't need to prove shit. Right. But she felt she did. And the way she proved that? By taking home some hardware. Yeah. I mean, 
I think there are better arguments in her favor than that, but obviously like, there could be a feather in, that could be a feather in her cap. So the three things I'll get along with that. Yeah, yeah. The three things I would say about this is one, it's not like she got the job, like she's getting an interview. So who cares if she's even if she is skipping this supposed line? Who gives a shit? Like if I'm an NBA team, or if I'm a fan of an NBA team, and my team has an opening. I want my team to think outside the box and interview as many qualified candidates as they can. Like, I don't want my team to only interview Mark Jackson. Like, you know, which the Knicks did. I, no, you should absolutely be looking outside the box and interviewing a multitude of candidates from all walks of life. Like, that's the only way you're going to get more exposure to, like, all right, Here's what the Spurs do. Like Becky Hammond has now been with the Spurs for what four years now. She like she's seen high quality basketball and like the class organization of the NBA right. up close and personal. Like every team wants to emulate the Spurs, and that's you know a lot of these teams bring in Spurs coaches so they can bring some of the Spurs way to their organization. Becky Hammond has now been indoctrinated with the Spurs way. So if Milwaukee, which is entering a very critical time in its development, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's signed to this extension, but like the clock is already ticking on when he's going to become a free agent. Right. If they want to get like they they if they if they're looking to like bolster the culture of their organization, where better than to draw than the Spurs and Becky Hammond? So the fact that she don't like it's it's an interview. I just don't understand the outrage over an interview. First of all, but then mm-hmm. also like it, it just it, Pau Gasol <laughs> had a really just an awesome thing on the Players Tribune. Uh, I believe Friday he wrote about this whole thing, and he didn't he didn't address the skipping the line uh, line of thought at least directly, but he did relay an anecdote with it, which I think at least speaks to um, Becky Hammond's knowledge of the game. And he was saying, you know, there was a drill in practice one day and he and DeJunte Murray are just running like pick and rolls like over and over and over. And then she stops the drill at one point, pulls DeJunte over and says, look, you know, you need to pass this ball. Like you need to bounce the ball a certain way so it's getting right into Powell's chest so he can just go up hard with it. And then he internalized that. They ran the drill. He started doing it better. And that started being more effective. And Mm -hmm. Powell was, like, blown away by, you know, like, she noticed this little tiny nuance. But that really made a huge difference. And, you know, the the effectiveness. Because it caught the ball better. Right. Right. Uh, uh, So, you know, for, for her to be able, like, her playing experience in the WNBA, it should not be discounted. As we've both said, like, it's still basketball. Basketball is basketball. NBA right. guys respect WNBA players because they understand, like, this is, you know, I, I ran, I think it was, um, who was it? I, Natalie Weiner had a, a piece for Bleacher Report. I don't remember um, which player it was because I know, like, Sue Bird and Kyrie Irving are close, apparently. So, so, like, Sue Bird told this other WNBA player to talk to Kyrie, and then, like, Kyrie was giving her tips about like, how to do all the floaters that he does. So, like, mm. these people, you know, NBA players and WNBA players 
share tips and secrets among each other. Like, there's mutual respect there. So it seems like the only people who don't have the mutual respect for WNBA players are some NBA fans, which needs to go away. Bill Lambeer. He started coaching in the WNBA based on what? There you go. There, yeah. And, and, you know, Powell was saying, like, there, <laughs> if there's concern over, like, oh, where is she going to shower in the locker room? That's, no. It's 2018. All of these, play, all of these places have top-notch facilities. No. Like, there just isn't a good argument against giving her an interview, if nothing else. Like, if she gets the job, and, I mean, the, the problem is if she gets the job and flops, there's more pressure on her to succeed than there's going to be for most coaches in their first job, just because of she's a woman, and that's going to be an indictment on, oh, all females can't coach if she flops uh, in her first job. Right, which is done. 2018. I know. I can't, it's super, I can't believe yeah. that we're having this conversation. I mean, no, no, no. no. I mean, we need to have it. It's yeah. just, it's, it's amazing, and I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm blown away by the stupidity of our gender sometimes, and I realize <laughs> that we have men out there listening to this podcast right now, going, "Oh, I'm not going to listen to it anymore. I'm going to shut this thing off. They keep crabbing on my gender." Yeah, you know what? Go ahead. Yeah, I, like. My wife is a doctor. My wife is so much smarter than I am in just every possible way. I, I, I can confirm this. <laughs> so, like, we need to get over, it. like, male superiority. It's not, it's just not a thing. Like, it, it, you're not better just because you have a penis. I'm sorry. It's just not how it goes. Yeah. And, and with the penis comment, that kind of wraps it up. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I, I was kidding. I, it was, that would just have been an epic way to, to close out. On. <laughs> I, I do need I, to. I, I hate the fact that we have to continue this yeah, podcast right now. We, I wanted to end on that note. I'm sorry. Damn it, I, I damn it, Brian! To, stop saying get, smart things. I have to go on my soapbox now about Brad Stevens because I wrote <laughs> something for the step back at Fansided the other day about. I, the, in, in full disclosure, the title was meant to trigger Celtics fans, and it worked like a absolute charm. It was called, No, Brad Stevens is not the coaching messiah. Oh, and all man, I was we saying... Have zero it, Boston fans left on this podcast, oh, do we? No. <laughs> no more Boston fans after what my mentions were this week. Dear, dear people who know Boston fans, know that I'm not responsible for this. <laughs> this It's the bearded gentleman sitting across from me in, in a different state, but but still... I yeah. So my piece literally, like, within, I think, the fourth paragraph said, like, Brad Stevens, at worst, is a top three coach. He's already threatening Popovich for the top spot. But they also have a shit ton of talent still. Like, yes, he's doing a great job with it. But, like, no, all of these people, like Chris Mannix of Yahoo Sports had that tweet the other day. that was like, if you're starting an expansion team and you had your choice between Brad Stevens and any NBA player, who would you choose? You would choose fucking LeBron James, and then you would choose Steph Curry, and then you would choose James Harden, and then you would choose Kevin Durant. Like, you have to go, you know, maybe in the 10 to 15 or 15 to 20 range, then you could start having that conversation about Brad Stevens. But you're not choosing, like, are you watching the playoffs? Look at what LeBron James is doing. You're choosing LeBron James. Mm. I mean, this whole... No, we agree. This whole, like, Brad Stevens is an incredible coach. And he he 
absolutely destroyed the Sixers. I mean, Brett Brown, I think, is also a very good coach. Brad Stevens, like, beat him up like a punching bag for the first three games of that series. Yep. I just think it's, like, it's disingenuous to say, A, he's working with, like, a bunch of nobodies. I mean, he's got two recent top three picks in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He's got Al Horford. He's got, you know, Marcus Smart. I know he's not, like, a superstar, but he was the number six overall pick four years ago. Terry Rogier. He's talented, yeah. Yeah, Terry Rogier was a mid-first-round pick. Like, he's not a scrub. Marcus Morris was a late lottery pick. Like, all of these guys have at least the draft pedigree, and, you know, then Stevens and their player development staff deserves credit. Like, it's, it takes a village, basically, to have a good team or a bad team. And it's like Stevens deserves a hell of a lot of credit, but so does Danny Ainge for ripping off Billy King five years ago and getting the picks that turned into, you know, the 2016 pick turned into Brown, and then 2017 pick was the number one pick they traded down, got Tatum. So, like, without Billy King, we're not having this discussion because the Celtics don't have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and they probably get knocked out in the first round. Like, it's... I just think Stevens is getting mm. an undue share of the credit when it's really a credit to the whole organization. Like I'm saying the Celtics from top to bottom, from the players to the coaching staff to the front office has done an incredible job over the last five years. But like, let's stop pretending that Brad Stevens is the only one who's done anything because no, like they all deserve credit. Well, goddamn, Brian, you're actually being reasonable for a change. <laughs> I just, it's, and like, I, you know, I wrote all of that, and then Boston fans still coming to my mentions. They're just uh, fucking I mean, mouth breathers. Yeah, you're not making it easy for us to ever get Boston fans back on the podcast. <laughs> so, I don't but, care. No, but, but you're right. I mean, I would agree with that. I, I would not put it as, I would put it less, more delicately, I should say, than you, but I, I do agree that it seems that the NBA has pivoted towards putting spotlight on Steven specifically in a manner where you ignore the stardom of Al Horford. You ignore mm-hmm. the emerging star of Terry Rozier. You ignore the rookie sensation that is Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. And you ignore the stability of Jalen Brown. And, and yeah, I mean, this all hinges on Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward not being available and and Brad Stevens doing a, a, ter- a terrific job with that squad without those two guys. Mm. And he is undoubtedly, undoubtedly deserving of tremendous praise. Mm-hmm. But to isolate him in the way that the media has done lately, mm-hmm. yes, too much. I would agree with that all the way through. Good yeah. shout. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Just that- just don't, don't trigger our potential <laughs> listeners, okay? Fine. In that case, we're going to wrap up there. So thank you all for listening in. Uh, We've got a lot of great stuff coming. We're going to record our Bye Felucia segment for the Raptors, Sixers, Pelicans, and Jazz. That will come out on Monday. We're going to have some stuff with the lottery uh, the middle of next week. And then obviously the conference finals also start Sunday. So stay tuned to our Twitter account at the NBA pod. You can find links to all of our new episodes there. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted now on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter, at AlmightyCasts. Until next time, I'm Brian Zaporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I'll never be able to get media credential for Boston, ever.
<laughs> you don't want it. <laughs> Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.